Welcome to the third episode of our new podcast, Hammer Time, A Property Perspective. My name is Paul Zamalis, and I'm used to being behind the microphone, and in recent weeks, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to hand the microphone over to a few others in our industry to get their perspective on what is going on. It's fair to say, recent weeks have been difficult, challenging for many of us in real estate. Some government changes have been handed down on the back of COVID-19 to ensure that our health is protected. Those changes, restrictions to open for inspections, uh, banning of public auctions, and the way in which we're dealing with tenants and landlords to ensure that we can continue to keep our doors open and to do business in real estate. Someone that knows it all too well and has been at the forefront of having a voice in this current marketplace is the CEO of the REIV, Mr. Gil King, and he joins us today. Gil, did you ever expect when you stepped in as CEO that you'd be working to prevent a collapse of our industry in the REIV in recent weeks? Well, I went through a similar thing uh, when I was at the Housing Industry Association over the global financial crisis, Uh, but this is... uh, far exceeded that in terms of its impact and the the day-to-day uh, engagement we've had to have with uh, government uh, just to try and get things sorted out. So if you did compare it to the HIO, maybe it's a little bit different, Gil. What has the REIV's role been uh, in this crisis and the voice that it's had with government? Well, the big thing for everyone to remember, and this is the difficult thing that governments have to face, they've had to make these changes very, very quickly without their their normal um, consideration over a long period of time. But they're setting in place a a number of rules through uh, the Government Gazette in the state of emergency, which apply to everybody. And then what happens is that the certain industries have to take those rules and identify how they work within those rules. So they're not written just for us, they're written for everybody. And that's been the real challenge. That's the, the really big difference here is that we've had to look at all of the clauses and how they impact on us as a profession um, and how can we then talk to government about getting it right. And that consultation uh, between yourself and government, has that been relatively free-flowing? Have they been asking for the REIV's guidance? Uh, They have on certain matters and uh, if anyone knows me, they've also got um, advice and questions from me that they haven't solicited because... There's a number of uh, challenges that we face, and we're we're all about trying to get ahead of um, ahead of the game. Um, so, for example, one of the things we have asked is if we were to move to a stage four, would real estate still be considered to be an essential service? And we've argued that it should. It wasn't in New in New Zealand, and uh, um, so we we've asked that question. We've also asked because the rhetoric's all around six months. We've also asked that the introduction of the Residential Tenancies Act changes, 130 odd changes, that that be pushed out six months because we've always been concerned about the timing of training of our people. Um, and we now need to have more time in this environment to make sure that everyone's across across the rules. So just on that, you know, with the changes that they're proposing, how do you get people trained up quickly enough to adapt to those changes given what's going on around us and people in some in some cases people are actually in survival mode so how do you get them to learn new practice and also you know do what they're meant to do day to day well that's a big part of our uh, our argument paul is that it's it's pretty much impossible in this environment to get um 
that that detail out to people. And we've always been concerned about the timing of this. The regulations aren't due to be released until the middle of next month. That would have given us six weeks to actually then try and train our entire industry on these 130 changes in six weeks. And that was always going to be a challenge. Um, and so we just don't think we can do it in this environment in particular. So do you feel that uh, state government, when we look at the REIV, have consulted fairly and effectively in this case? They haven't come back to me with an answer on that push out of the RTA changes. I doubt whether they will soon, but we'll remind them that we've asked the question and we'll keep reminding them that um, there needs to be some advanced warning about this because if we're all working towards the 1st of July date, um, it's going to be it's going to be a disaster. I, I actually I actually think we you know these these laws they're coming in eventually, but now's not the time to be doing it. And I might add, Paul, what we've asked for is don't just think about us. We're not we're not saying just think about us. We're thinking about all the law changes that are due to come in now and in the next few months that are going to substantially change the way that people do business. And that's really important that those things be pushed out so that businesses not just our businesses, but all businesses can get through this current circumstance without the, um, the the damage, without having to take their focus off survival and making their businesses work. Now's not the time for new regulations and laws to be introduced that imposes an additional burden on businesses. So then with the consultation on these legislative changes, you know, do you feel that they've also been consulting uh, the REIV in regards to some of the changes they've had to make uh, due to COVID? If we take the, uh, the very controversial shutting down of private inspections on occupied premises, uh, which was announced on the Thursday night before Easter, we just communicated to our members through our president. Um, and then 20 minutes later, we got an answer to a question we'd asked about a week and a half earlier. 20 minutes later, we had to turn around and communicate to the members and say, what we told you 20 minutes ago is no longer right. We have to change it. You can't do these inspections. That advice came because we were consulting. We were trying to get clarification around what the stay-at-home directions and the uh, restricted activities directions were meaning for inspections generally. We were actually consulting with the government, trying to get answers, but they were very slow in responding to us. So we interpreted the directions one way and it sort of made sense. But when we got this announcement on Thursday night, we were in like we're in shock mode. So we very quickly then had to go back. We did start a bit of a campaign and uh, we were able to get some good discussion with the Premier's office, uh, the Treasurer's office being involved and the Minister's office and uh, a very good outcome and a sensible outcome because they were actually consulting with the Chief Health Officer and the Department of Health and Human Services. So it's not just that minister that's involved, it's a whole group of people. So the, the, the immediate response would be that for any members and for anyone that has received that communication, just like you were shocked, they were shocked too, but did that have somewhat of a negative effect? Did you see a flow on and back to the REIV to say what's going on here and, and was it frustrating for you and the rest of the team? It was, Paul, and, and um, we have to apologise for the fact that we have to send two different messages within half an hour. And that was that was a real shock uh, to us because uh, we just did not see this coming and there was no... And, and, and 
our our whole argument remained the same. We just didn't believe the interpretation that they applied was correct. We couldn't see it coming because it made no sense. Now, I think what happened in the background was that we asked the question about what this means. They went to the chief health officer who's not in real estate, it's not involved in real estate, and the chief health officer may have applied a very strict black and white reading of that direction and then said, well, it'll be impossible for someone to comply. Well, we actually knew that our members, in particular, our REIV members, had been complying far better than most other uh, industries have been with this safety around uh, social distancing, about disinfecting workplaces and places that they visit and, and doing things in a very methodical way. We, we responded in a very professional manner to the changing landscape. Look at auctions. Auctions have changed substantially. Now, we know the numbers have dropped, but there's still uh, there's still auctions going on. We've had, so far, 103 um, reported auctions from last weekend, all done online. Now, we've adapted and adopted this new technology extremely well. And that's when we said to the Minister and the, and the Premier, we need to be given credit for that, because we've actually achieved extremely good results in this very difficult environment and we are concerned about people's safety. We are a people industry. We know what it is to be involved with people and we do act responsibly. So if we go to the conversation of government understanding that role that REIV is playing, how would you then say that we stay relevant? I mean, some members and you know, I'm, me included in that would say, We've got a voice and, and there's been some great you know, positions that the ROV have taken, particularly with the open for inspections, to keep those going. But how would we move to get to a position where government may you know, organise to speak to someone like yourself as a CEO before making that knee-jerk reaction for any other policies in the future? Because there are constant changes. There could be another crisis to come in 10, 20 years' time. How does the REIV assert itself into a position where government picks up the phone and says, this is what we're thinking, should we do it? Well, the irony is that, as I said before, this this outcome actually came because we did ask the question and we were consulting with government and we were talking with them. It is a bit slow. The other irony in this, Paul, is that this is something we do all the time. It's only because this was a big issue at the worst possible time and in a crisis that it got the publicity. But we have this engagement with government on a weekly, sometimes a daily basis when big issues are coming up. So my role, my, the, my, one of the major parts of my role is, is lobbying government for uh, advocating our position, prosecuting our policy positions. Do we always get what we want? No, we don't. But I always ask this question, where would the profession be if the REV wasn't there fighting against some of the changes? Some of the changes will be done far more extremely than they are now because what we are able to do is restrict the level of change uh, to a level that is, if not ideal, at least acceptable. Because without us there, without us fighting, then there would be the government just making decisions as they wanted to. So strength in numbers is definitely relevant here. And would it be fair to say that as individuals, the government, it would fall on deaf ears if it was just coming from individuals? Yes, and look, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay this, um, the importance of our members' support at this time. So 
anybody who saw on Good Friday, I sent out an email uh, with a call for arms for our members to communicate to the government, send emails to the government. And I got a bit of a kick in the pants from that from the minister. And I did point out to the minister, sometimes we need to demonstrate our relevance to our to our members, that we are we actually do have some clout. And this was a way of going about it. And I wasn't I'm un, unapologetic about that. I think it, it was vitally important that our members got there. But here's the truth of the matter. All those emails are pretty much unread. The government knows they get them, so the Premier's office knows they get them. They know the Treasurer's office knows that they get them, and the Minister's office knows that they get them. But by and large, they're they're sort of responded to with a generic sort of response. The only person that the government actually speaks to about the real estate industry is the REIV, and obviously on the opposite side, the Tenants Union or Tenants Victoria. Uh, they talk to them about the other side. Um, and they have um, bureaucracy set up. But when it comes to our side, notwithstanding the fact that we might they might get 2,000 or 3,000 emails from our individual members, that's great to show the, 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 the collegiality and the, the unity that we have, but the reality is the only person they're talking to is me. So, Gil, the time that you've spent with the Minister and the Premier in recent weeks, how have you sought to influence them and, and to really elevate the relevance of that voice? Well, I always think that self-interest is always a good way to start. So the first thing for me was to point out that if they stop the open of the private inspections, basically sales stop, therefore the tax revenue stops. And uh, so I always back self-interest as number one. That's the first thing. The second part is um, is explaining to them how we operate on a on a day-to-day basis and how we have been uh, diligent in applying the new rules and and taking this very seriously. And the third point, and I put this in our uh, Facebook communication to our members recently, we actually agreed as an institute to advise our members to do two things that were not clear in the directions. And one was that it would be only two people in the house at one time, although it could be interpreted, you could have the agent and a couple or a family. It could be interpreted that way, but we said we will advise our members to only do inspections one and one. So that's the first point. The second one was if a tenant occupied the property and didn't want an inspection, they didn't want people coming to the place that they were living, we wouldn't do it. Now, that's not written anywhere, but that's a concession we made in order to get this across the line because it's so vital that we got that agreement that we were able to do the inspections. And what we don't want to do is appear to be causing more distress than is necessary to people in a very, very difficult environment. Going back to what you said before, Gil, about you know, now it's being publicised, um, the fact that we're able to sit here and have this conversation, now would be a great time and you know, I ask you the following question, what would you say to industry people who question the relevance of the REIV? Well, what, uh, what I would say was that if you... Yeah, you know, and I've heard the word toothless tiger, and I, I know that's not the case. I I was in government for um, a long time, a very long time, and I worked on the regulator side, and I never ever saw industry bodies as toothless. They influenced everything that I did in government as a regulator, and I was a regulator with the building industry for a long time, and and part of my role was to prosecute a lot of builders and 
building industry people uh, and take take them for disciplinary hearings. But I was still able to have a good relationship with them, and that's vital. And I never, ever considered any industry group to be toothless. In fact, I went on to join one of those industry groups, being the HIA. And uh, I never felt that we were toothless. We always had great influence and were able to influence government. And the same with REIV. We have a very strong standing. We have a very good relationship with both sides of government. I can pick up the phone and speak to any minister or any shadow minister at any time, and I do that quite regularly. And we have this good relationship. If I can say one thing, what frustrates me the most is that every outcome that we achieve is realised by anybody in the profession, whether they're a member or not. What can make us even more powerful if all of those people who are not members of REIV actually realise the benefit that we can have in even greater numbers, then we will become a real dynamic force in government and and negotiating with government to get the outcomes. So given your extensive experience, Gil, which there are many years, what have you learned about leadership, particularly through this time? Anyone who knows me, Paul, will know that ultimately they will get black and white from me. They will get what I'm thinking. Now, I can, I can accept the alternative view, but if I'm advocating a position for our members, I will advocate it black and white. I will absolutely say what I believe to the, to the government. They will be left in no doubt what our position is. I don't believe in this uh, fudging of you know, you know, blurring the lines if we believe something, we need to be able to say it. That's the most important thing. But you also need to be respectful. So when it comes to leadership in terms of negotiating with the government, you need to be honest, open and frank, but you need to be respectful and understand you aren't going to win every battle. You may not even win the war. You might win some battles, but you certainly are not going to win every battle. You win some, but not every one. Gil, you've been fantastic and we sincerely appreciate and thank you for your time. Well, in true auctioneer form, our three calls and summary points from today's discussion. First call, self-interest, empathising with the other side, seems to be very relevant in today's climate. The second call, strength in numbers, gathering together and pushing behind in a united front to move for change. And the third call, the REIV has the direct ear of decision makers in government and the influence that that has in being able to cause change for us and to benefit our industry. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Hammer Time, A Property Perspective. Feel free to share the link with anyone that you think might enjoy listening to the podcast or subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you to our producers from The Content Engine. We look forward to talking to you soon.